the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 135. I'm your host, Dustin. This is actually the first episode of our relaunched uh, series. Uh, we're not starting with a new number one because we're not DC or Marvel, for that matter. And my, as you heard in the last episode, Joe is no longer with us, and but Joe is working in other aspects of the Batman Universe, just not here on the Comic Cast. Uh, my wonderful co-host Stella is still here and joining us from the Point Five cast is... This is Ed! Alright, so we are here bringing you the news and comic books from the weeks of March 30th through April 12th. Uh, we already covered most of the news from the previous weekend, uh, from the last episode, including the news from Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, we have a total of only two books to cover this time around. We have Detective Comics number 30 and Batman Eternal number 1. Um, we have a small amount of news to go over, um, and as I've said in the last episode, we're ch- changing a couple of different things. One of the biggest things is Bat Books for Beginners is no longer on the comic cast, starting with this episode. Bat Books for Beginners will now be featured solely on its own feed and will be expanding as of next month. So with that, let's just get straight into comic news. Your entrance was good, his was better. So the very first thing I want to talk about, I don't really have any specific dates to point out mostly because uh, right now the site is undergoing some work um, and we'll just leave it at that. But the point is uh, I they, they re- DC recently announced that they're relaunching Teen Titans number, they're relaunching Teen Titans in July right after they canceled it this month. Uh, this month was the last issue of Teen Titans. They, they canceled it. And then for whatever reason in July, Teen Titans is relaunching with a new number one. So before I get into any more details, thoughts on Teen Titans launching with a new number one? It's a little... The only thing I get, it's just really strange. They did it with Teen Titans and with Suicide Squad is... I don't mind... I don't mind. I would like to see Teen Titans relaunch because I wasn't that high on the last the last kind of go-around. I just don't know why... If you just had them renumbered, we have to renumber them again. I am looking forward to the, the creative team and stuff on it, but I'm just a little unclear why we need to uh, reset the numbering. That's all. I think it's a little unnecessary. And I guess speaking from a, a Marvelite point of view, uh, Marvel pulls this thing all the time, and it gets to be really frustrating. And it's just, it's more of a gimmick, I think, to get people on board because, of course, you see the number one, and I've fallen for it before. You, you see the number one, and you're like, hey, this seems like a good time to jump on. I kind of wondered about this, and now here I can do it. So I think it's a way to do that. I feel like Teen Titans wasn't really all that exciting of a book and, and doing that well anyways. So it's not like with all the Marvel books that they were really popular and they're they're getting more people. It seems like, hey, this book is dying. I think we need to breathe new life into it. Let's start with the number one. I think it's unnecessary, but, you know, that's that's just me. Yeah. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that uh, there was an interview that was done with the new uh, – well, with the writer behind the creative team, uh, Will Pfeiffer. Now, if you remember in the last episode, I believe it was the last episode, I talked about the fact that – Will Pfeiffer was originally announced as the new writer for Red Hood and the Outlaws. I thought that could be an interesting direction. And then not even, not even the first issue that he writes releases. And they say that Scott Lobdell is coming back to Red Hood and the Outlaws as the permanent writer. And everybody was super confused. I looked into it. It still didn't make any sense. And now it kind of makes sense because Will Pfeiffer is actually going to be the new writer on the relaunched version of Teen Titans. Um, joining him on art is going to be uh, Kenneth Rockford, who was previously on the book many, 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 many issues ago. Um, and it'll be interesting 
because the team is going to be changing. Um, it's kind of as if they're actually changing the team to be more of a streamlined version of what the Ravagers were, what the Teen Titans were. The team members that will be consisting of the noon Teen Titans will be Red Robin, Wonder Girl, Bunker, Raven, and Beast Boy. That's it. Nobody else. No Super Superboy, no Supergirl, no Flash characters. That's it. And, you know, I think it's interesting that Tim Drake's still going to be a part of it. I don't know. I mean, like, we, we obviously, we used to review the book on the .5 cast, and we talked about it, and it had very little to do with Tim Drake or, you know, bringing his character out there in the New 52 more so than anywhere else. And I, I'm interested to see what they do now that, that it, it, it'll be interesting for anything but the fact that they're, making a more definitive team instead of just, well, Ravagers got canceled. So we threw, we threw Raven in the book. Uh, they're making it more of a, a reason of why these characters are together. Now, Will Pfeiffer actually stated that the reason why they're going and doing the number one is to bring a little bit more attention to it. So I guess they are playing the Marvel card when it comes to that. Um, as Ed mentioned, the Suicide Squad is relaunching as well, which I also find really, really odd because it doesn't really seem like it needs to. Um, now the interesting thing behind Suicide Squad is that, um, the cover for the first issue features Joker's daughter. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not surprising. That's everyone's favorite character. Yeah, supposedly. Um, but uh, also featured on the cover is Deathstroke. And Black Manta, so it looks like there's going, they're going to be bringing a couple more of the big baddies into the book outside of just, you know, Deadshot and Harley Quinn as it's been for quite some time with the ever-changing characters that, you know, come in and out and, you know, the people who they don't really care about and they kill off. But Joker's daughter, I mean, I don't really understand it. I, I can't understand why DC doesn't see past the, you know, idea of you know, it's just because the word Joker is in there that it might get any sales or that it is getting sales. But then again, I, I just, I don't understand it. But those, both of those series are going to be launching in July. I don't, I don't know what the point of canceling them only to bring them back three months later. But hey, you know what? I don't run DC, so I don't make decisions like that. Well, I think Stella hit it on the head. It's, it's the number one thing. And, and I'm as guilty as anybody when, when the new 52 happened and you walk into your local comic shop or however you do your pre-orders online and you see all these number ones, I mean, especially us older people, telling my age again, they're used to the 90s when, like, remember you'd buy number one and two weeks later it was selling for 20 bucks at your local comic store, you know? You see number ones and you're like a kid in a candy store and you run around and buy one that you really shouldn't. So as a marketing ploy, it does work, but I just wish they wouldn't do it, especially when it, I mean, when it just happened. What are they, what did Suicide Squad and Teen Titans make issue 30 or 29? You know? Alright. And outside of Suicide Squad and Teen Titans, we do have some late breaking news. We're actually recording this on April 14th. I normally don't date when we're recording these, but, uh, as we're recording this, uh, we just got some late breaking news that literally just posted, um, about the future of Dick Grayson in the DC Universe. Uh, the USA Today released an article saying that Batman's sidekick leaves the cave for Grayson comic. Now, this was a long-rumored series. We heard about this going as far back as about a month and a half ago, I want to say, when I believe Kyle Higgins was doing some of his, his exit interviews for Nightwing. Uh, we heard that Dick Grayson might be around, you know, later on and have his own series. But it turns out it's happening much sooner because the book will be called Grayson, and it will be premiering on July 2nd from DC Comics, which means it's right around the corner as far as solicitations. It's going to be written by Tim Seeley, who, as we know, is also be going to be one of the, well, is one of the writers on Batman Eternal. But it's also going to be co-written by Tom King, who is a former CIA counterterrorism operations officer. So if that should say something about what the book is about, uh, the book is being described as an, as an undercover super spy action adventure series. Some of the other things that they mention in it is, in the article is that, uh, he, that Dick Grayson is, he is employed by an international spy agency called Spiral, an organization, an organization created by Grant Morrison and Batman Incorporated. 
Um, they say that Grayson has to save the world, but he's dealing with the organization that maybe go that may go beyond his comfort zone. Um, then we then it goes on to say that uh, Grayson is one of the few superheroes who's considered a sex symbol by the ladies, and that they're going to be leaning into that. Uh, they also talk about the fact that he's going to be getting a wardrobe makeover, uh, courtesy of the artist, Mikkel Jannon. Uh, gone is Grayson's mask, and his new outfit reflects the blue and black color scheme of his Nightwing togs with, and, and features a G on his chest, reminiscent of the old R from his Robin days. In term of tone, Seeley described the book as a world-hopping action comic, and King wants every issue to feel like a TV episode of Mad Men or Breaking Bad in that it causes a conversation. It's DC's The Americans. This is something where, at the end of it, you have to go and talk about it. So, let's talk about it. Let me talk about a book and see if it strikes you as similar at all. This character, who happened to have been a, a he was at one point a sidekick, um, he comes back from the dead because he was killed off and takes on a mantle of his own. And at one point he's killed with quotation marks, but really he's alive. The only person that knows that he is alive is his former mentor. And he works in this spy agency and, you know, he kind of has, he has his girlfriend around, but unfortunately there was some mind wiping and that doesn't work anymore. But there he is, really only known to certain people. That book is in fact, that was Captain America and Bucky. Bucky was the guy. So here we have, once again, Dick Grayson, potentially presumed dead. Maybe nobody knows about him. Maybe not even Batman. I mean, Batgirl doesn't, for goodness sake. And he goes off and does this completely different thing that doesn't seem at all in line with the character. And I'm just thinking, why not just completely kill off Dick Grayson anyways? Because this seems like almost the worst thing you could possibly do to him. Uh, I'm a little worried. I, I just can't believe that no one knows he's alive. Uh, Batman may, but it seemed in that interview that, I mean, Alfred doesn't, his mentor doesn't. It just seemed like they were going towards that. And not even Batgirl. I feel like there are certain people that he should tell about his his existence. But Dick Grayson and Spy Network doesn't really seem like the type of thing that matches to me. It's like my brain can't really compute it. Uh, and just him being James Bond, I feel like now they're just giving him an excuse to sleep with as many people as he can possibly get. Yes. This doesn't, I mean, I'm not really happy with this idea. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, listen, I, it's, it would be difficult for me to believe that he was going to be a secret agent who wore his own last initial on his shirt. That doesn't sound very secret. Um, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Um, Dick Grayson's always been treated as a, as a sex symbol, I guess, and the fact that they're going to lean into it probably makes it seem like this book's going to be a little oversexed. Um, sounds more like Get Smart than James Bond to me, but, uh, I'll definitely check it out when it comes out, especially if it's supposed to be this event every month. So I'll give it a read. The the one thing that Stella was referring to in the article, it actually says it, it says Batman uh, that that Nightwing is presumably murdered, but it doesn't stick. Batman wants him to transition to a different heroic life for the greater good, but it's a hard sell. And Batman tells him why he and uh, uh, Batman tells Dick why he needs him to stay dead not only to the world at large, but to Batgirl, Alfred, and the rest of the Bat family. Yeah. Um, it says, obviously, he's part of a legacy. He's been Robin, he's been Batman, but now he's out in the cold by himself. So that's presumably why he joins this organization. The other uh, interesting thing to point out is that in the the cover art that is going to be for the first issue that's also shown in the article, it shows him with a gun, literally pointing at you, the viewer. Um, and holsters on his leg for guns. So I guess, you know, we're just, we've, we've, you know, after 75 years, Batman could just get over using guns. We saw it in Batman number 28 with the, with, uh, Bluebird using a, a, a device that essentially was a gun. Um, and now Dick Grayson is going to be out on his own using guns. And I guess Batman is just going to have to deal with that as well. Well, so. well, if you if you give Tim Drake a nine millimeter, then all the X Robins will have them, right? We all know Jason carries a gun. Dick yep. is obviously carrying a gun, so maybe we can make uh, Tim's bow staff be one of those, you know, bow staffs with a gun inside of it, and we'll have them all covered. Yep. 
All right, so that's late breaking news. Like I said, July second is when it's going to premiere. We'll, we, it's undetermined at this point, especially since we're just relaunching this. And I specifically said last episode we were only going to be covering Batman books, but that was because I didn't think we were going to be getting any other Batman sidekick books until after Batman Eternal. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure if we do not cover it specifically here, the Bat fans will be covering it. But one way or the other, we'll figure out a way to get the series covered. That being said, that is actually all of our news. We're going to jump straight into our books, and the very first book we have is Detective Comics number 30. Detective Comics number 30, Icarus, part one, Francis Manipole and Brian Buscelletto, storytellers. Um, this issue opens up with two men keeping several children under lock and key and using them as drug runners. Uh, Batman comes in to rescue the children and knocks one of the, me- the men out while the other makes an escape through a line out the window. Uh, a rival gang led by a man named Holter uh, grabs the lone escapee, whose name we find out is Johnny, and takes off with him on the back of his motorcycle. Uh, but they're not rescue him, actually. They're, they're there to kill him. It looks like he's been stealing from uh, Holter's gang. After some acrobatics and fancy footwork, we see Batman take down the, uh, the gang. Uh, we then cut to uh, Bruce Wayne attending a motocross event with Elena Aguila, who is there to watch her daughter uh, Annie compete. Annie is a four-time extreme champion and puts on quite a show for the crowd. Uh, Elena tells Bruce that the idea she is there to propose to him will cost Wayne Enterprises millions and could potentially cost them billions. Instead of Wayne Enterprises investing in developing the East End waterfront into a commercial success, Elena instead asks Bruce to turn it into more of a charity project with medical and educational care for the poor residents of the area. Bruce accepts the deal. Uh, We then have a quick cutscene to a congressman named Sam Young, who is trying to explain uh, Bruce's actions and what it will mean for their their business with the uh, Easton Waterfront Project. Uh, A man in a rose shirt uh, gives the congressman a briefcase and tells him to use what is inside to turn the tide. Uh, Back to Johnny from the start of the story, and we see he's with his brother. Uh, who has been referred to as Mr. Squid by the Johnny's associate from the start of it. Uh, Mr. Squid tells uh, Johnny that if it wasn't for his brother, uh, he'd be the one uh, being fed to the squid, and we see him feeding um, what looks like a squid in a giant tank, uh, the second uh, bad guy from the start of the story. Cut to the Batcave, and we see Bruce working on Damon's motorcycle, uh, and him and Alfred are talking about Damon, and uh, all of a sudden an alarm goes off. There's an intruder in the manor. Uh, Bruce runs up to see who it is, and it's Elena who is burning alive. To be continued. All right, I guess the first question is, uh, since we, before we get into the story, the thing I want to ask you guys is, have you guys read, this is a new creative team, for those that aren't aware of that, um, and did either of you read, read these two when they had their recent run, The Flash, and did you enjoy their work before you read them in Detective Comics? And did you have any like preconceived notions on maybe what they were going to be writing before they got here? You know, I didn't have any specific ideas of what we're gonna we were gonna see from them. Um, I did read when they when uh, Flash when the New Fifty Two began and Flash was relaunched and Francis Manipul and, and Buccioletto were on the series to begin with. I did read a couple issues. I thought it was interesting. I, if I read everything that I found interesting, I'd, ne- I'd never have time to do anything else because there's just too much stuff sometimes out there. Um, I thought that they did a decent job with Flash, especially with picking up from what Grant, uh, with what Jeff Johns was doing right before the New 52. So it was interesting to see that. But that being said, I didn't really know what to expect from them because Flash is a person who clearly has powers. You have to write a character with powers different than somebody who doesn't have powers but has skills. And there's, there's a very distinct tone difference that you have to, you have to have when writing stories about that. Um, that being said, I think it's, it's a really interesting idea with what they, they chose to do, but I didn't know what to, what to, you know, what to look forward to. I was interested to see what they could do. Not that I think Layman was doing a bad job. There was a lot of stories that Layman did on the series that I enjoyed, not so much the Gothotopia stuff, but the, the, the previous stories with Ogilvy and, even even partially the man bat storyline it was interesting so i think that i was i was looking forward to a change but i it wasn't demanding a change so it was nice to see something that you know is different i also 
or I guess not also, but I read The Flash. Uh, I did, I'm trying to think of how many arcs and stuff I read, but then I just sort of moved on from DC a little bit. And, uh, I loved it. I, uh, what makes it so compelling though is that art is very much a third character in the book. And I just love how everything goes together and how the layouts are and I just think it's uh, very beautiful and, and just Francis Manipal is just a wonder to behold. I love his stuff. I actually thought it was going to be a lighter Batman um, and I'm not joking. Uh, I thought <laughs> just thinking about, oh, they're coming from, you know, the Flash and the Flash, obviously, he has some jokes and, and just the, the wonder and, and certainly there were dark moments and everything but I thought maybe they'll be able to pull a little more humor, not make it really, really light but just have it so that it's not really dark and gritty all the time. Um, so I guess I was wrong in that fact because it still sort of remains its dark and gritty tone. Um, but I still love the art. Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed their run on Flash uh, a lot. I was really excited. And again, much like uh, Dustin said, it's not that I did dislike Layman's run and I really wanted him replaced. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of it, and I didn't think Gothatopia was the best, but it was fine. It was it was not it was not awful. I liked the Man Bat stuff. I, I did like Layman's Run, um, but I really liked these two. And I went into this much like Stella did, having really only led, read their work on the Flash and the New Fifty Two, which I which I do do read every month. Um, I, I thought this would be more of a more like the Harley Quinn book. I mean, a little a little light. So this kind of heavy tone. Um, what wasn't what I was thought it was going to be, but. I really did. I really, really did kind of, kind of like the tone of the book. Um, if, if anything, I think maybe they, they did come in a little darker just to kind of show the world that they don't have to light, write light like the Flash. Um, so, you know, kind of getting into this story now, um, we see a bunch of characters introduced in this, in this first part of the story. And, and we see Elena, uh, Annie, Johnny, Mr. Squid, uh, the congressman, the squid, the squid in the tank, uh, itself. <laughs> and I told him that's not that's Mr. Squid and actual Squid. Um, now you, you know from what we've seen in the past, a lot of times a new creative team will introduce a character right in their first issue that will become a part of their arc in the book. Do you see any of these characters becoming a part of like an overall recurring character while while these two are in the book? Um, and if so, which one? Well, I think the biggest one, which you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like cheating when you when you ask this question because. Uh, the biker gang and Mr. Squid are, are, I've read in interviews with Francis Manipole and Brian Buccioletto that they are going to be reoccurring characters. Um, outside of that, I initially, when I read the series, or read this, this issue, I initially thought that Elena was going to be a character that was going to be around, um, mm-hmm. especially since somehow she convinces Bruce to spend billions of dollars to remodel, and this vaguely sounds extremely familiar to something that I could have sworn happened in, uh, what, Batman number one with Court of Owls? Oh. oh, we're gonna re- we're gonna revitalize this entire area of Gotham. And Nightwing, cause of the and Amusement Nightwing Mile. Amusement Mile. Yep. yep. It's, it, I mean, this is a very common thing that happens in Gotham City for some reason. And you would think with all the money that Bruce Wayne somehow is able to pour into this, something would happen. But nothing ever seems to happen. You just, it just kinda goes away and then all of a sudden it gets brought up in a different series. The same, you know, maybe a different area of Gotham or something like that. But, that being said, I think that um, – I thought that she was going to be a reoccurring character. Clearly, the congressman is also going to be – he clearly is going to be playing a larger role with whatever involvement he has with the, you know, the people that he's involved with. But the, the, the biggest thing is I'm more interested to see the direction that – now that Bruce Wayne owns all of this land, what's it going? What what is he actually going to do? Now that the one person who is supposed to kind of be like at the reins of like this revitalization area is now dead. That's the thing that like most interests me um, about this. But I think when it comes to the characters, I mean, yes, they did flood this book with a ton of new characters, and it was a little hard to keep up with who's who. But I think that in most time, in most times when we get a, a a writing team or a, or a creative team in general come, that comes onto a book, they want to make their stamp right away. We see this all the time. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but generally, it normally works in the first couple issues. As long as you know, if they it, sometimes you, they just introduce these characters so that they can they have people that they can kill off to you know because that serves the purpose of their story. But in other times, 
the characters, you know, as long as they don't have too many char- too many new characters that they focus on for a long, long period of time, I'll be I'll be fine with it. As for me, I'm hoping that uh, the actual squid really makes his mark on co- on comics worlds, and maybe some mutagen um, drops into the tank. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pop out, and then he just transforms into this mutant, and it's an awesome Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover. That could be the best thing in the world. Um, (laughs) No, I hope we see the squid again. That'd be awesome. I love that panel, by the way. That was just like so – you don't even see the actual squid. You just see these tentacles, and that's what made it so frightening. I also thought that Elena, I mean, whenever she, when her face was burning up, uh, it reminds me, we watched something. Oh, it's Thor 2, right? When that guy, like, he held him and, like, their faces exploded, that bad guy. Um, that, it was very shocking because, again, yes, we thought probably she was going to be there for the long haul and, and have this, um, great revitalization. I feel like, now the the trope is going to be the daughter is going to be out for vengeance. And, of course, she's got some skills with the motorbike. Could she take on some sort of mantle and be a a person um, uh, next to Batman? Could she be one of the people that we saw in Eternal working side by side by side? Who knows? But I think that we have not seen the last of the squid or the daughter. I agree with Stella. I think that Annie is probably the character, the daughter that we'll see again. Um, there, there was no no reason to burn up that page count with showing her on the motorcycle unless at some point she was going to use it. Um, I wouldn't think. Um, the rest of the characters, though, it, there was a lot of them thrown at you in a book, which can be common for any first issue of a story arc, but much less for new creative writers. Um, but I think, although there was a lot of my th- I kind of liked them all. They all seem like they had a point. Um, I'm not saying they'll all be around forever, but they do seem to be relevant to the story, and they all had a had a place in it. Um, and I think we see that missing a lot in a lot of titles where characters are thrown in just for the sake of writing a character. But I, I feel like these characters really, really do belong. Um, the squid. Let me send that one back through the, the windmill here. What do you guys think the squid is? is? I mean, what is that? Dustin, what do you think that is? I think it's legitimately a squid. <laughs> you, think, you think he just feeds people to a squid? Do you think yeah, that's what? The- I think that's why he's called Mr. Squid because he has a pet squid that he feeds people to. I mean, it's clearly got some sort of mutation because if I remember correctly, it had fangs or something like teeth or something. And squids don't have teeth, so it must be some sort of mutated squid. But then again, that's you it. know, I, I, I don't really know. It's like it's one of those things where it's like. You know, I'm I, I, I'm sure it's just a squid. I don't think it's anything more than that. Let's see. I'm pulling it up now, and I'm looking at the picture. And it, well, it looks like the squid. Okay, maybe not teeth, but it's like got spikes on the end of its uh, tentacles. So, well, one of them has a spike. The other ones don't. They look like normal squid tentacles. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure it, it's either it is a squid or it's some mutated creature that just reminds people of squids. And that's why the guy's called Mr. Squid, or it's just some mutated thing that, you know, is that, and the guy just is called Mr. Squid, and that's, I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I, I can't think of what else it could be. What are the chances that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles could do a crossover with Batman? Very, very slim. Lower than 3%. I believe that IDW still owns the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They do. Then Zippo. Yeah. Okay. But that being said, it sounds pretty interesting. I'd read it. Um, I would too. <laughs> off the square. Batman now. versus the Shredder. Yeah. Yeah, Bat- Batman versus Shredder. Interesting. Splinter and Alfred could have some interesting. Co- we got to get off this. He's going to kill us. Um, <laughs> so at the end of the book, we see the uh, Bruce and Alfred talk before Elena comes in on fire, and it's a nice moment. Um, but we've had a lot of these moments recently with. Bruce doing something in the cave that is referencing back to Damien. Um, do we feel like we're getting these too much now, and we feel like almost every story arc, every book has to have a, a Damien name check on it? Or do, we, or do you guys like the way we're getting these still? Or just kind of what's your thoughts on on the idea of these little uh, moments in general and in this one specifically, if you had any thoughts about it? 
Um, I think that it's it's organic and it, it makes sense that he pops up from time to time. I mean, the wound is is very much so fresh. Um, if if Batgirl number one took place around three months ago, then then it seems like Damien died maybe a couple weeks ago. Who knows what the timeline is like? Uh, so I think it makes sense. However, in this book, it really seemed like it didn't mix. Like we we had a good storyline going, and then all of a sudden, like there was a name drop. I think Elena did it first, right? And and I was just, like, taking it back, like, how is that connecting? Like, she just drops, you know, your son. And and then the rest of it, like, it just really turned ship 180. And then we had that full page where he was commiserating. So, yes, I think it's good that, you know, he is mourning and everything. Um, but I didn't really like how this one came about, that someone else mentioned it. I mean, hello, that's a little rude, isn't it? You should have been more thoughtful than to bring your his dead son up. Uh, I, I think maybe it'd be better and, and maybe more organic to have it happen when um, maybe a certain event occurs. Um, maybe like something just reminds him of him rather than someone really just, hey, do you remember your son? Uh, so I didn't like it in here as much, but I do think that it, it should happen from time to time. And I think it'll stop or slow down after a while. Um, but, of course, Batman and Robin, he's going on a search for him. So perhaps it'll start picking up and then it'll slow down. Who knows? You know, I... I think it's, it's fine. You know, you know, every once in a while, well, well, the other thing is in the pages of Batman and Robin, it's, it's like front and center. It's, it's happening right mm-hmm. now with him searching for Damien or the hunt for Robin as they, they're calling it. But, you know, I, I don't think it was done, you know, it, it worked. I'll just leave it at that. It, it worked. It, I didn't really have a problem with the way they did it. And if anything, there's other titles that have done a much worse job. Um, this didn't, this did, as Stella said, it feels organic. It, it felt like it made sense there, especially since, you know, it just was like an offhand comment that someone made about his son, him having a son. So it, it made sense because she was, compa- the reason it was brought up because she was comparing the fact that she has a daughter. So I think it worked. Yeah, I agree, actually. Um, I think it would almost be weird if we weren't mentioning. I mean, this is supposed to be Bruce's son. So um, I, I'm kind of glad we still kind of stick these little things in from time to time because the reality is, one is, like we all know, this has got to be some kind of compressed time frame. Um, so it could have been three weeks or three months, but I, it hasn't been a full year, which I think in real time was almost what we're at now. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I think the reality is if your son was dead, you would think about it probably constantly, you know, so – uh, I do think this kind of constant reminder of, of, of things being around, uh, tying back into Damien was, uh, was good. I, I enjoy him. There's sometimes in some books where they are a little like hitting you over the head with a frying pan, but, uh, this one also was, was the right time length, I think. They didn't go on for, for seven pages. It was two pages or so and then, and then transitioned the, uh, the breaking in type deal. So, um, and I guess the final thing that we can kind of wrap it up on for this issue is, this is the first issue for a creative team, and, and what did you think about it? Did you think this was a good first issue for a creative team? Did it show the, show you what you wanted to see? You know, I think overall I think they did a decent job. You know, I don't really – I didn't have any problems. Uh, if I was – if I had to nitpick anything, I would nitpick just the fact that there was so many new characters um, because at, at one point there it was a little difficult to keep track of who was who, um, especially when we start referring to – when you start having groups of characters split off and join other groups of characters, that to me is, it's just a little hard to keep track of who's who, especially when they don't have very unique looks. Um, but that's really, really nitpicking. I thought the art was great. I enjoyed the, the, the story overall. You know, I don't know what's going, I don't know what the direction of this is, but if they actually focus on the revitalizing of an area of Gotham instead of just talking about it, it would be nice to see something actually happen. And so I'll leave it as, you know, open as I'm looking forward to what's to come. Yeah, no, I, I think that they they did a great. I don't know if I could say they hit it out of the ballpark, but, um, you know, the art was stunning. And that was really what I was most looking forward to. Uh, the story was okay for me. It certainly introduced a lot of characters. And I think perhaps that's the best way to start just because you are 
um, setting up your own little world and your your mini universe for your run. And so hopefully they're able to 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 gather and take many stories from these particular people. And and hopefully they just aren't wasted as you know a short three issue run and then it's sort of done. So I hope that there are ties uh, throughout their runs. Like you said, you know the motorcycle gang. Perhaps they run through and everything. Yeah, I I, I really did like this this issue quite a bit actually. Um. It's it's not uncommon for me to read a, a, a new issue from a creative team and kind of give it a, Ugh. but uh, I, I thought this was actually really strong. Um, I, I think they kind of put any aside any fears that they, they could only write a more lighthearted story like The Flash. Um, I thought they introduced a lot of characters, but I think a lot of interesting ones too, so I'll take a little bit of that. So uh, on a whole, I really did like what they did with this episode. All right, so Detective Comics number 30, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Detective Comics number 30, I'm going to give a total of, yeah, four out of five batterings. Oh, my word. I will also give it four out of five. All right. And over on the website, Corbin Poole gave the issue five out of five batterings. So that's going to give Detective Comics number 30 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Batman Eternal number one. Batman Eternal number one, written by Scott Snyder and James Tinney IV, with consulting writers Ray Fox, John Lehman, and Tim Seeley, art by Jason Fabick. The issue starts off with uh, Jason Bard, who is a police detective from Detroit who's been transferred to Gotham City. He's talking to his mom at the train station, describing how Gotham City was described to him with there's tons of lights, make sure you bring sunglasses, but specifically for nighttime because of all the lights that are in Gotham City, all the different types of lights. He runs into Harvey Bullock, and uh, he says, oh, I was expecting to meet Jim Gordon, who hired me. And he says, well, he's a little busy. Well, meanwhile, across town, it appears that Professor Pig was uh, trying to kidnap a bunch of children to turn them into Dollatrons. Um, and Gordon is there taking fire um, at an aviation museum. And there's a bunch of robotic pigs attacking uh, Professor Pig actually has uh, machine guns mounted onto an old aviation plane that has darts filled with some sort of toxin. Uh, right as it seems to get really worse, Gordon is talking to Batman over some sort of comlink, and Batman bursts in with what appears to be the uh, exo bat suit that we last saw in Batman Incorporated. Uh, Batman kicks the crap out of the robotic pigs. Uh, then what happens is uh, they... They, Batman asks, once he gets out of the robot, robot bat suit, he gets, he goes over to Gordon and asks how the children are. He says they're, they've got something, some sort of toxin in them, but the, they'll be fine. They just need to get to the hospital. Uh, then they, they chase after Professor Pig and somebody called the Stray Man, which I, I, I've, I don't remember from any other form of book, but, uh, as it turns out, uh, Batman tells Gordon to go after the stray man. He's going to take Professor Pig. Um, Gordon chases the stray man down into the subway, and uh, Batman then is shown getting Professor Pig, tying him up, and telling him that it's over, and uh, that's it. We then cut to the GCPD, where uh, Detective Bar- or Lieutenant Bard is being introduced to Major Forbes, uh, who is basically bad-mouthing Gordon, saying Gordon's eventually going to slip up, but that's the way it goes. And then uh, he says, "What? Where are you going to be? Actually, uh, where are you going to actually be assigned?" And he says, "I'm actually going to be part of the night shift, the night shift lieutenant for MCU Major Crimes Unit." Uh, we then are introduced to Maggie Sawyer, who says, "Don't listen to Forbes." Uh, we just got word that Gordon needs help. Let's go. Uh, it's just a couple blocks from here. Then we see Gordon, who's approaching the stray man in the subway tunnel. When uh, Gordon looks at the stray man, it appears that the stray man has a gun in his hand. And he says, I don't understand, I'm not holding a gun. Um, Gordon says, drop the gun, if you don't, I'm going to shoot. He ends up shooting, and the gun does not... It, the, the bullet goes through what appears to be the gun and hits a electrical panel that causes an explosion. In turn, the electric subway cannot be turned off, and the subway goes... Uh, Batman comes down, gets Gordon off the tracks. Strayman appears to run away when a giant explosion happens... Well, not an explosion, but a giant crash happens, and people are badly 
injured and presumably dead. Uh, meanwhile, right before the, the crash, the Major Forbes, uh, Lieutenant Bard, Hardy Bullock, Maggie Sawyer, and some couple, a couple of uniformed policemen actually saw the, the crash happen, take place at the stop. Uh, Gordon then talks to Batman and says, listen, you need to get out of here. I need to take care of this on my own. I should have never done that. Uh, Batman says, he goes, I, you know, I shot at the gun. I don't understand what happened. Batman says, listen, I watched the closed circuit footage. He didn't have a gun, so we don't know what that, what happened there. Um, Harvey Bullock approaches Gordon and, and basically what ends up happening is Forbes says, you finally screwed up. You did it. You caused this death. It's gonna, the death toll is going to be in the triple digits and it's all your fault. Um, so then what ends up happening is he turns to Lieutenant Bard and says, read him his rights and arrest him. This is your collar because you're the rookie, this rookie tonight. Um, then Gordon says, listen, uh, you'll do great. You need to do this. Um, Bart says it was an honor to meet you, and he says, listen, uh, and Gordon tells him, listen, don't forget what I told you when I talked to you on the phone. Don't ever forget. Now do your job so you can get helping to these people because I'm not important. They are. And then Jason Bard reads him his rights, handcuffs him, and walks out, and we see the final scene of a... Uh, the final panel is a flashback to the very, very f- beginning of the comic where we see what was called the end, where Bruce Wayne, demasked, bloody, is, is tied to a the, the bat signal, chained to the bat signal, bleeding, and someone is saying, your allies have been slaughtered, your city is burning to the ground, I have taken everything from you piece by piece, watch Bruce, you lose everything. That happened at the very beginning and then it was titled The End, and then the final panel says, Can't you see it now, Bruce? Can't you see the grand design? Next week, James Gordon, Public Enemy, number one. All right, Batman Eternal, number one. So the the first thing I want to talk about is, the it was really the last thing I discussed. I, I specifically broke that up and talked about it at the end because I wanted it all grouped together to kind of make more sense. But... The issue starts off with very, it's very reminiscent of a lot of different things we've seen more recently where they kind of reveal some of the ending before they tell the story. Um, the, the end is Gotham City up in flames, Batman or Bruce Wayne chained to the, the bat signal, bleeding, bloody. It appears that it's by the skin, by, by the look of it, it looks like he doesn't have a shirt on. But it looks like he's branded with a bat signal on his, on his chest. He clearly does not have the mask on and he's, I mean, he's beaten. So the question is, what do you think about this, you know, foreshadowing of event that could possibly happen at the end of Batman Eternal? I think, I don't think it's a, it's a could. I think this is probably going to happen. 52 issues around issue 41 42. I don't think this will be the end of Batman Eternal, but I think this will probably set up the, the last act. And, and that's something that's very, very Snyder to do. Um, I mean, I think he's, he's definitely beaten the, 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 the guy who's there calls him Bruce. So there's no ambiguity about the fact that does he know his identity? Does he lose? Uh, he says that all of your allies have been killed. So that would be one to believe that, you know, the Red Robins, Bluebird, um, Grayson, whatever you want by now, um, and and the rest of the crew is is, is dead or, or perceived to be dead, um, and I think this has kind of been what this this whole book has kind of been touted as was this was going to be um, you know a gigantic battle. So um, it'll be interesting to see here if he's just been unmasked by this one person or if Bruce's identity is revealed to the city of uh, of Gotham at this point. I wouldn't count anything out. I'm sure they're giving Snyder a, a, a leash, and if he wants to do it, I'm sure he will. So it's it's an interesting concept. Um, it's not like we had with the Damien 666 books. Um, this is something I think is, is going to happen. So uh, I'm actually I'm not looking forward to seeing him have beat to death, but I'm I'm looking forward to see how we get there. <sighs> it's a little scary. Um, and and I was just trying to think of how how long does is this book going to go? Fifty-two issues, one full. Year. Okay, okay. So, wow. I mean, how do you think they'd ever kill off Batman? Uh, that's that's kind of a question that I have in my mind. Uh, the other thing is, who is this guy? Because I feel like we know who it is. I think we know who it is. I think we saw him in this issue. Could it be Commissioner Gordon? 
because he kind of went psychotic anyways. Could it be Jason Bard, which would be a disappointment. Uh, so I think there, there, are, I, I, oh, there's like a face in the clouds. Uh, I think that it's, uh, <laughs> there are probably a lot of seeds in here that we're not getting right now. And it's going to be one of those stories where you read the whole thing and then you could probably go back to the beginning and see like, oh man, I totally see how that got to, um, yeah, I guess it just really makes me nervous. Uh, I guess this is just the way to get people into it is to do the end right at the beginning. Bam, this is what we're leading up to. And then, whoa, let's hit the rewind on my DVR. How does how do we actually get to that point? All right. My thoughts on this is that, you know, I do think that, like, Ed, that we're going to, we're going to, this is going to be something that's going to happen not right at the exact end. This is not, like Batman Eternal is not going to end with the city on fire, Bruce Chain, but it will be something towards the end, like Ed said, probably introducing the last kind of act for the story. Um, but that being said, I think, you know, could Batman die? Well, we've seen it happen before, um, but he didn't actually die. He just got Omega zapped and, you know, he disappeared and everyone just thought he was dead. Um, I don't see the, 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 you know, him dying. I think ultimately what a true villain would do, and this would be like James Bond type villain, the best thing that they could do instead of just killing him would be to make him suffer. Make everything he cares about kaput. You know, burn the city, the thing that he wants to defend the most, kill all his allies because they're the ones who stood by his side and through everything, you know, and, and maybe James Gordon is the first one that they're taking down and that's why this happens. So the next thing I want to talk about, I, I, I do want to talk about Gordon and the, the situation that happened with him. But first I want to talk about the introduction of Jason Bard. And I know Stella probably has a lot to say about this. <laughs> you got to go first. Uh, I am really nervous about it. I do have to say that. But, you know, I love how he was introduced because it really, I think, gets to his character. At first, I was a little concerned because just the way the the script was, it, I wasn't sure if, oh, my gosh, has he been hired by, like, this dirty person, you know? Because I, I think until he says, um, like, yes, mom, uh, it just seems like... Oran talks about uh, um, the commissioner that there's just some double language going on. You know, I could work anywhere, the, the nighttime job and everything like that. So I was just, I was just very worried about it. But I love just that, you know, he is this cut young man. I don't think he's a kid, but I think he has younger and just sort of off the street and that his reputation seems really good. And that just being pan-picked by Commissioner Gordon just speaks to probably the level of his uh, nature and, and that he's probably and hopefully a, a good person. Um, and just, you know, being thrown in there, being really wet behind the ears, being thrown in, everyone's saying, hey, we'll give you the collar, but more because, you know, they, they want him to do the paperwork and everything. And then being put in this terrible situation where the guy invited me over and who has trusted in me is now under arrest. I just like witnessed this very bizarre circumstance. Several hundred people are probably dead on this subway and I've got to call her the commissioner. And he does it. He does it. He listens to his superior officer and we wonder, you know, what did he say? And, and I almost wonder if commissioner Gordon told him, you know, trust no one. Um, if that was, you know, the conversation, remember what I said. Um, but I think we, we just get, get a good sense of who he is. And I'm really hoping that would be so terrible if he was the bad guy at the end. But I'm just hoping that, um, that he continues to be this, this great character and someone that you can count on and has great moral standards. A younger, you know, Jim Gordon that perhaps didn't have any dirty hands whatsoever. And, uh, I love to see, I, or I can't wait to see what happens with his interaction with Batman, um, and whether or not he'll undergo an injury because, you know, each of the inter- the iterations we've seen with Jason Bard, obviously he had that limp from the Vietnam War when we first saw him. And then back earlier one, he was injured uh, just basically in that firefight with um, 
uh, Firefly and Killer Moth. So it'll be interesting if at the end of this, if he'll also have um, this bad situation and, and a bad leg and I'll, and I'll either continue on the force or start a detective agency. And I'm just hoping that we, I think we introduce him in a great way and I hope that we continue with, um, you know, this great character and he's able to survive uh, the new 52 and, and this series and move on and have a place in this universe. I have a feeling that what's going to happen here is that Jason is going to become uh, Batman's liaison with the, the Gotham Police Department. I think Jim's going to be out of it either, you know, in jail awaiting trial or, you know, he's in big trouble. So I think that, that Jason may become Batman's kind of confidant in the Gotham Police Department. And I'm okay with that because that's a role that, that you can see the character traditionally having to do if called upon. Um, I do hope we get to see some interaction in this title between uh, Barbara and, and Mr. Bard. I think that would be fun to see. Um, but overall, I, I think it's, it's nice to see him here. Um, he's handled pretty on point. I mean, he's a good cop, serious. Um, yeah, I like it. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, I think for the most part, the introduction of him, well, one, it's, it's nice to see him brought in because prior to the New 52, uh, he wasn't really utilized, and I think this is an interesting way to utilize him and to make him relevant within the story. The fact that he is brought in to the GCPD by Gordon, but then has to basically figure out what's going on when Gordon is, is under arrest, essentially. I think it, I think it's really interesting. And I'm interested to see, I think it is possible that he could be Batman's liaison, uh, within the GCPD, especially with Gordon locked up. Um, and it probably more has to do with the fact that that Bard and Gordon are on the same page when it comes to this. Gordon's in a bad situation at this point, but for the most part, they probably have the same thoughts. That's why he said, you know, I really respect you, blah, blah, blah. So he has probably similar principles, so it would make sense for Batman to use Jason Bard as his liaison. All right, the last thing I want to talk about is the entire situation with Gordon at the end. Now, I said during my recap, I thought that Batman was referencing a specific person when he said, follow the stray man. But that's, of course, because the was capitalized and it was the and not follow. I just, I I read it wrong and it's not an actual villain. There is no villain called the stray man. It's literally just follow the other guy. Um, The thing is, I thought I was, when I was looking at this guy, I was like, well, maybe he is somebody because he's got something on the side of his head. Well, after further deduction, it's basically he's got a rose tattooed on the side of his head. I don't know why somebody like this would be a henchman with Professor Pig. Um, by my under, by my remember, remember, by my memory, we, I don't remember Professor Pig having henchmen other than the Dolatron. So I don't really know why he has normal henchmen. That's why I immediately thought this must be somebody else that, that Professor Pig is teamed up with. Now, what is odd is Gordon specifically says he saw him holding the gun and that's why he shot. What's interesting is if you see the guy running in the hallway prior to going into the subway with, with Gordon, he isn't actually carrying a gun. Um, he's holding the gun while Gordon has him at gunpoint, but he didn't have the gun before that. And then, obviously, Batman then later says that, you know, oh, uh, he didn't actually have a gun. I looked at the security footage, and he didn't. Now, it's kind of odd, because the way the footage, the way the, the panel is, the bullet that Gordon shoots, shoots, it appears to go either just to the side of the gun and him, and then hit the box, or it somehow goes straight through him. And he actually says, Gordon, it says, what the, it passed right through, making me think that he meant it passed right through the gun, which in, 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 ex- it wouldn't have exist, but why would Gordon have been shooting the gun? That didn't make any sense to me. Now, the fact that this all plays out and Gordon is then, you know, he's basically at fault for this giant crash, I find it extremely hard to believe that the first thing that would happen would be, we're going to arrest the police commissioner because he was chasing somebody and he shot this box that caused this crash. It seems a little extreme. I don't know if that legitimately would happen where they would go from, you know, 
a situation that, yes, it is a horrible situation that happened, but would he really have, you know, a hundred counts of manslaughter against him for something like this? I don't know. Now, the, the shooting the unarmed, uh, henchman, you know, obviously there's a problem. That is something that he could get in trouble for. And obviously there's something going on with the fact that he saw the gun and the gun didn't really exist. I don't know if it was because he was exposed to something that Professor Pig had earlier, but thoughts on the entire situation. See, here's my kind of thought on this. Um, my assumption with the quick arrest and, and, and the quick accusation, I mean, the fact is the guy walks in and immediately knows he shot someone without a gun, which would have taken a little bit of investigation, I would think. My thought was, we, we kind of see this officer who kind of hates Gordon, kind of trying to get, already telling Bard how bad it's going to be. I just kind of assumed from the get-go um, that the reason why this guy was so quick on the trigger figure, that he was in league with whoever turns out to be the, the big bad guy in all this. Um, that that cop is dirty from the word get, and he was going down there tonight to arrest Gordon, and that was already part of the plan. So that's the kind of way that I mentally had drawn it up. So, you know, what you're saying that would make sense if, if but I just think that the, the dirty cops in on it from the word go. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that is certainly a possibility and it, it makes a lot of sense. I also think that there's something wrong with, uh, Jim Gordon. I don't know if it's necessarily, uh, Professor Pig and what he did. It seems very much, it, it seems very similar since we just came from a gothtopia, just seeing things that aren't there. Um, but no, yeah, why, why is he shooting him? He's not dropping the weapon, but he's also not firing. I think there's something else to do there. So, so firing his, um, his weapon, I think is a little heavy. And then just seeing it when it's not there, I think there's just gotta be something going on. Uh, yeah, it, it seems a little extreme to, uh, cast all of the blame on Gordon. Uh, obviously it was negligent what he did, but, um, he is the commissioner, which is a high position. So it seems a little strange, but Gordon does go along with it. So I think maybe he realizes that something odd is going on as well, but I'm surprised that Batman didn't say, um, (laughs) Hey, this seems a little strange, but this is very much a, a Jim Gordon show. In my opinion, um, this particular issue, it seemed very Jim Gordon heavy. So I wonder if he's just, kind of one of the big characters here more so than batman in eternal i was supposed to say it did, it did kind of seem to me like that this arrest of jim was the beginning of, of eternal and i think maybe it's his trial that we're going to see kind of running throughout the series so yeah i agree still so, i think the, the i think the pigs the professor pig was just window window dressing here i think that gordon getting arrested and the subsequent trial or the events leading out of it um which is the reason why i think we see the bard character um, I think that is the showcase of this, and I think it's going to be the showcase for a while. Yeah, and I think, as you said, it is going to be the showcase for a while. I mean, the the next issue is, you know, James Gordon, public enemy number one. Uh, there's multiple covers leading, you know, going in the next couple issues that are going to feature him on the cover in some sort of, you know, uh, I believe, I, I recently, I think it was issue 13, uh, the cover for issue 13 was revealed, and it has Jim Gordon in prison orange, behind bars. So, I mean, I think this is going to be something, and it's also probably going to be the, the focus point for why Gotham goes into the, you know, the uh, military and uh, kind of controlled area where what we saw in Batman number 28 with them having curfews and things like that, and the police really even being more so under the control of the Kingpin, who is Catwoman, I think a lot of it is the fact that Gordon is behind bars and the city kind of crumbles around that. And I think that's why this is... Mo- this. I think really the first act is going to be focusing on the fall of Jim Gordon and how Gotham falls because of Jim Gordon. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Which lends to add the, 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 the question... Who do you think the big bad guy is here behind this whole thing? Jim Gordon. It's not, I don't think it's Jim Gordon, and I'm not going to say it's Major Forbes. I will agree that Major Forbes is probably behind, is is working in cahoots with whoever the major bad guy is. Up front, I really don't think that it is Catwoman. I think that, at least at this point in time, I don't really think that Catwoman is going to plan something like this. And I think that maybe there isn't really a big bad at this point in time. And maybe the reason why Catwoman rises up the ranks so easily is because she realizes what's happening. She takes advantage of the situation knowing 
what will happen because Gordon is so important to the stability of Gotham. And I think that's probably what's what happens with her. But I don't know that there actually is a, a big bad right now that's behind the scenes. I think it's, you know, I think Stella's right in her joke. I think it's Jim Gordon Jr. I think that's the guy that we're going to see at the end of all this. That's just a guess, though. All right, so Batman Eternal, number one. I think it was a decent issue. I'm going to start it off with uh, three and a half out of five bad ratings. Batman Eternal number one, I am going to give four out of five batterings. I really went into this not sure what I was going to get, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm more than that, I'm interested to read the next issue, which I think is what number one should do more than anything else. I'm going to give it 3.5. Uh, it wasn't as amazing as I think it should have been, and it just seemed like a regular Batman story to me. And I thought, why are we reading another Batman book when it could have been a Batman? But hey, here we are. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, the best thing about it is that Jason Bard is here, and uh, if he could move into Batgirl and maybe help her clean up her act somehow, that would be amazing. So, yeah, 3.5 out of 5. All right, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 1 a total of 3.5 out of 5 bad ranks. That is all of our books. We have no listener Q&As for this episode specifically because, I guess, uh, well, the only comments that we did have over on the website were um, people saying that they were sad to see Joe go. Um, we appreciate that, and obviously Joe sees those comments. And as I've said multiple times, Joe's not leaving in you know for good. He's going to be working behind the scenes with different things. He just won't be on the podcast. Uh, that being said, if you have listener questions, uh, specifically one of the things we're going to be doing, as you may have realized when I was talking about comic news, we will be focusing on the Batman Universe news. So all the stuff that we initially pushed off of the comic cast and we brought into the point five cast we will be reporting the news related to all those titles on this podcast we just won't be covering all of the books that we were covering really the idea is we will still focus on the batman universe when it comes to news and telling you what's going on but focus with the comics specifically with the batman books for the time being with that being said, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns that you'd like us to address on the next episode, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net or leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast post over on the website. That being said, that is everything for this episode. Uh, I want to remind everybody to head over to the website to check out all of the other podcasts that we have to offer, from Backroll to Oracle to Taking Flight to Everybody Loves the Drake to bat fans, to the commentaries. There's all kinds of stuff over on the website for you to check out as far as the podcasts go. Be sure to check out any of the editorials we have posted up on the website in reference to some of the comic books that are being reviewed regularly over on the website. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Also, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And also... Uh, as I've mentioned multiple times in the past, and I've decided I'm just going to mention it forever and ever, if you are interested in joining the Batman Universe staff as far as if you're interested in podcasting, if you're interested in editing, uh, if you're in, interested in editing audio, uh, website design, graphic design, writing news articles, writing editorials, writing comic book reviews, if you're interested in any way, shape, or form, I implore you to head over to thebatmanuniverse.net. Click on the Join TBU Staff banner at the top of the page. It will tell you exactly what we're looking for at this point in time, tell you exactly how to get in contact with us, and we'll go from there. Uh, we're looking for everybody. We're really looking to step up a lot over the next couple months as far as staff goes. So this is the perfect time for if you've been sitting back thinking, hmm, I always wanted to do this, but I never knew if it was a good time. Now's the time because we've gotten a bunch of people who are coming on board. Uh, we actually just had a, a, a good chunk of people. Uh, we had a meeting where we talked with a bunch of new guys uh, and making plans going forward for the future of the Batman universe. So this is the time to get involved if you want to be involved. So with that being said, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is the wonderful Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. Goodbye. Ciao.
and just remember we're trying one of the big points about this uh relaunch unofficial relaunch is positive attitude just remember that as we're talking have we ever had a negative attitude really don was on this podcast you have to ask them (laughs) oh my oh my i really i can't believe you called me wonderful this is like a moment that we need to take a pause a moment to uh, remember positive remember positive yeah. we're, we're turning the page to positive land i did see that forever evil number seven got pushed back to uh july of 2017 so <laughs> <laughs> don't get in a hurry what's the what's the over and under on uh women he sleeps with in the first 10 issues i give it 15 I mean, yeah i'd uh, close uh, i give it 12 <laughs> okay Oh, especially if you get down to the bottom of it, and it says, Also, Grayson is one of the few superheroes who's considered a sex symbol by ladies, he <laughs> says. We're leaning into that. Oh, there you go. <clears throat> it's going to be like James Bond. Yep, pretty much. Have a nice day.